You're listening to the Advancing Your Photography podcast. I'm your host, Mark Silber. I connect you with remarkable photographers who've mastered their craft, sharing their insight and skills so you can put them right to use. I'm Mark Silber. I'm an author, educator, and photographer here in Carmel, California. And I want to just let you know that our show is brought to you by our good friends at Bay Photo Lab. Now, here's the thing. You guys need to get stuff in print, and they're going to help you do it. Uh, They've got specials every week, and these are their specials right now. Acrylic prints and acrylic blocks. See, these are blocks down here. Let me move that. These are blocks. These are prints. Pretty amazing. You can get 15% off on those you can get 15% or 20% off on matted image folios. See how those fold over there? You could get like three or four, whatever number you want. And those are cool 20% off. You can put them, you know, those are really cool for displaying family photos on a mantelpiece or a piano or whatever. Uh, you know, if you your clients may really enjoy those. And then 15% off on a collage wall. This is one way to not only show your own work, but to show your clients work. So you guys should think about that. You know, you can get these discounts and then you turn around. Of course, you'll probably increase your price anyway. Obviously, you're not just selling it for the price of the print. But um, Bay Photo will help you really good as far as client photos. 25% off on your first order as always. Okay, guys, so here's what we're going to do. We did a quick switcheroo. I just fairly recently talked to you guys about composition, which I could talk endlessly about, and I think it's good to refresh constantly. But we're going to talk about natural lighting. So before we dive into today's topic, I want to ask you, do you ever feel confused about photography? All the camera choices, all the book choices, All the lens choices, all the lighting choices. We haven't even got all the uh, editing software choices, but there's a lot to choose from. And I'm here to help you get through all that confusion and come out the other end unconfused and knowing what you need to do as a photographer to get the result you're looking for. And I've made a secret decoder ring Kids, we're actually going to make one of these for you. Uh, we're we're, we're going to have it out here. Uh, but the secret decoder ring helps you decode and understand photography. And this is the secret decoder ring. It's the cycle of photography. Now, those who've read my books and you've heard me, you go, yeah, Mark, we know all about that. But not everybody does. And it's something you need to keep in mind that there's these five stages that your photography goes through. No matter what you're doing, you need to know where you are on that decoder ring. Where are you? Are you visualizing? Are you looking at your equipment? Are you capturing? Are you processing or are you sharing? Those are the five stages. Today, we're going to be talking about this part of the decoder ring, which is capturing. And it's all contained in my book. Now, here's some quick tips. Don't get hung up in the complexities of your lighting equipment. There's a lot of there's a lot of lighting equipment you can use. Keep it simple and you'll hear in a minute 
how simple you can make it. Train your eye to see light. That's really important. Like whenever you go to a scene, where is the light coming from? In my studio here, I have a window that's facing west. Actually, it's facing sort of northeast, um, northwest rather. And the light is, is coming in. It's not direct sunlight. It's kind of bouncing around outside and it comes through this window. I have another light source over here to balance it. It's an LED. But always, whenever you go to a new scene, first thing, after you visualize, look around, see where the light is coming from. Is it coming straight down, which is very harsh? Is it bouncing around? Is it filtered through a tree? Is it bouncing off of sand or sidewalks? Those are important things to know. And you want to just train your eye to see those. Use your skills of visualization. So if you visualize like maybe there's a big streak of light on my face, well, visualize where could I move the subject to where that's not happening? Maybe under a tree, for instance, where it's filtered or in the shade under a under a, uh, an eave in a building or in, you know, obviously you can go inside and have the light come in through a window like Vermeer lighting. All those things are, those are part of your visualization process. And as always, keep it simple. Lighting has become, and is, it can be one of those very complicated subjects, but we're going to take it into some simplicity here. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to listen to a little clip from our celebrity photographer, fantastic photographer, Matthew Jordan Smith, who I interviewed a while back, and I love these tips. What are some good tips for lighting? If you're outside, be aware of the light. Be aware where the sun is. Is the sun very high? If the sun's very high, you have these shadows under your eyes, under your nose. It's not very flattering. But as that sun comes down, around like five, six, seven o'clock, you get this beautiful light, the light's right in your face. And it's it takes out all the shadows, all the age out of your face. Make that light as, as even as possible on your face, on your subject's face as you're shooting. So the whole, that old rule of having the sun at your back really works. Same thing in the studio, having that light imitate the sun where it's down at this angle where it's coming right at you. I know a lot of people have the, the light off to the side a lot and casting you know, shadows, and that's not always flattering. Make that light look like the sun at the end of the day. Follow that law and you'll do well all the time. Okay, so first of all, yeah, shooting, shooting with sun coming down directly, you're gonna, get, you're gonna get raccoon eyes for sure. You're gonna get weird shadows. It's not a good look. I don't, I can't think of any circumstance unless you're trying to make a horror film and and show how weird the person looks. And that's probably not your goal when you're shooting a portrait. So obviously we love the golden hours. So what are the golden hours? They're basically from a half an hour before sunrise to a half an hour after. Beautiful light in the morning. You, you know, as a photographer, we got to get up early, right? Capture that light. Be ready for it. So Oftentimes in a shoe, you go out in the dark and you're waiting, you know, you're going to get prepped with your equipment and your, your subject or whatever, even if it's a landscape, you wait and wait. And there it comes and the sun 
half an hour before sunrise, half an hour after. That's your first golden hour. And the other one, of course, is the end of the day, half an hour before sunset, half an hour after. But what he said is just absolutely spot on. What you have is longer wavelengths, and that's what makes the light gold, golden hours. Long, those are longer wavelengths of light. And it just works because it will soften the skin. It gives that beautiful glow and take advantage of that. So shoot in the morning, shoot in the afternoon. In the middle, what do you do? Take a siesta, go shopping, go play tennis or go surfing, do something. But you, those, are, those are two times you definitely want to take advantage of. And your subject like he said, you saw those smooth-looking women, beautiful. It, it does help in a lot of different ways. Then he talked about using these same principles with your studio lighting. You've got a single light source, let's say. Have it emulate the sun at the golden hour. Like, where do you want it? You don't want it like harsh or up here somewhere, like high up here or over to the side, you're going to also get a lot of shadowing. Now notice the way I've got my lighting set up. I don't have a lot of shadowing because I have light coming in through this side with the window and I have light coming this way. You only see shadowing when I raise my hand and I'm blocking the light. So I'm not, I'm following that same principle. I don't have a light directly in front of me but it is bouncing around. I have white walls, so it's bouncing around and it is being reflected over to me. So one thing is really important when you're working with artificial light, or this is true actually when using a reflector, let's say. Keep it simple, use a single light source, get it adjusted, get it looking the way you want. Remember, you might remember, talk. we talked with Peter Hurley when he first got started, he had no equipment. He actually used big boards, and Bambi Cantrell talked about this, as reflectors. You can go down to Home Depot or Lowe's and buy those. And he didn't have money for lighting, so he used these reflectors, just plain white boards. You can also get a silver reflector that's used for insulation. Play around with those. It can cost you basically nothing, like 15 bucks, let's say. But those are important tools, and you want to keep in mind how you use the sun. Okay, this is our first set of tips on lighting. Always do what Bambi Cantrell said, which is you use your hand to see where the light is coming from. Turn your hand. Now notice as I go like this, there's some shadowing. Well, what's happening is we have multiple light sources. If I turn that light off, this would all be shadow right now. But use your hand to see where is the light coming from. That helps you. As I'm looking at it right now, the inside of my hand is shadowy. But the this side is being lit up by that light over there. It's just a tool to help you dial in to lighting. And, you know, so much of photography, this kind of goes back to visualization, is about being in tune with your environment seeing what's going on, which is going to help you not just as a photographer, but as a person. The more we're stuck in our head, not looking at stuff, the worse our results are going to be, I guarantee you. 
great artists are able to look out. And one of the ways you can do that is just train your eye to see the light. I'm talking to you, brothers and sisters. See the light. <laughs> I'm not kidding. The next thing we're going to do is we're going to talk to our friend Bob Holmes, or he's going to talk to us through one of my interviews, and we're going to take a look at what he has to say about working with natural light. So here we are, Bob Holmes. Learn to look at light. I, I am a natural light photographer. Um, I don't look for jobs that require artificial light. I hate strobes because it's it's so difficult to control them unless you have a vast amount of experience. I tend to use hot lights, but the secret to lighting really is looking at light. You have to look at it as the camera looks at it. That's the secret, not just, you know, I can see detail in the, the left-hand side of your face perfectly clearly, but, you know, the camera won't see it that way, obviously. You know, I've exposed to the highlights and it would be a very sharp contrast. It's not just that you see what light does on a subject, it's knowing how your camera will record it. Yeah. Because I like dark areas in photographs. I like photographs that leave you asking questions. Not, I don't want photographs that give you all the answers in there, it's mm -hmm. all, all in front of you. I like to keep dark areas with no information in them. And Kodachrome allowed that. Digital photography doesn't necessarily. You can change it so that it does, and I, right. I, I try and replicate that. But I knew exactly how Kodachrome would react to light, and I know how my digital cameras will react to light, and exactly what I need to do to get the effect that I'm after. And you have to do that as a photographer. You have to practice and shoot things under different lighting conditions so that you know exactly what the end result is going to look like. I always tell students that, as most photography teachers do, the camera should become an extension of you. Uh, the cameras get in the way of photography. If you're aware of the camera and not constantly adjusting the camera, you're not looking intensely enough at your subject. Mm -hmm. It would be nice if you could imprint the image straight onto your brain somehow. Uh, the camera gets in the way. But having said that, I always check, particularly with modern cameras, with digital cameras, there are so many controls on them and it is so easy to forget. I always check the ISO rating, because sometimes I'll be shooting in a, a dark space like this space here, for example, and rate it at 1600 uh -huh. ISO, which with modern digital cameras produces superb results. Right. And I had an embarrassing moment last year. I, I was shooting in a, a wine cave, and then I had to take a photograph of the whole of the winery staff, including the owner, the, the winemaker, everybody. I got them all outside in bright, fairly bright sun. And after the shoot and they'd all gone, I realized I'd left it on 1600 ISO. And miraculously, the shots were fine. Wow. But now I always double check ISO. I check white balance. Um, I check the exposure compensation. I check everything on the camera as often as I can, really, because it's so easy to, to do something and then forget about it. Yeah. There are two kinds of lights. There's this shot where the light is completely within the frame. There is no external light source. It's often called Rembrandt lighting, although it's, Rembrandt didn't really paint that way all the time. There's a, a painter, from an 18th century painter from England that did. All his paintings had light emanating from within the painting itself. And I take photographs like that occasionally where the light source 
is entire within the frame. And at the other extreme, there's a lighting type of lighting that I use extensively, which is often called Vermeer lighting, which is light coming through a window like this, a north window light, which is very soft and very flattering. And this photograph taken of a tobacco farmer in Trinidad is using that kind of lighting. As a travel photographer, I don't have the luxury of being able to carry a lot of equipment. I don't want to carry a lot of equipment. Right. Equipment gets in the way. It's always the biggest problem with photography. There's too much equipment. Yeah. It's not important. Um, so rather than light someone, I will move the person to the light. And with this tobacco farmer in Cuba, I moved him to an area in his barn where there was nice soft north light coming through to replicate this Vermeer look. Mm -hmm. Now I use that a lot. I love this kind of lighting, particularly against the dark background. It always looks great. And then you work with the person to get the right expression and the right energy from the person to make the photograph. But again, look at the eyes. Always make sure the eyes are well lit. So those are two extreme forms of light. And then there's light that bounces around. And I'll go to, um, I'll, I'll try and get people in the shade. Yeah, harsh sunlight rarely works. Yeah. So I, I try and get something in the shade, like this woman in a remote rural part of Cuba. I loved her, the curlers in her hair, mm -hmm. but I wanted a soft light on her face. And then to, to give it nice even lighting, it's not really Vermeer lighting because it's coming from a broader surface, but it gives this nice soft bounce light that's bouncing around. And if there's not quite enough light, sometimes I use even a sheet of newspaper, if you can find a newspaper these days, and try and bounce sun back into someone's face. You can always find something you can use to bounce light with. And newspapers work beautifully. Mm -hmm. Reflectors are not something that I use a lot, but occasionally you'll need them. And then, I, like, as you said, just seeing where the light source is and moving your subject so it's the kind of lighting that you want. One, one tip I can give for photographing people in sunlight, you know, a lot of photographers think that midday is the worst time of day to shoot. And it's certainly not ideal. I wouldn't choose to shoot at midday. But if you're a travel shooter, you have to shoot whenever there's light. Yeah. Even when there isn't light, you just shoot continually because it's expensive to travel and you don't have the luxury of waiting around. Um, this photograph of the same tobacco farmer in, uh, in Western Cuba, I shot probably around about midday. It was bright sunlight, as you can see from the light coming on the left-hand side of his face. So I moved him with his back to the camera. There's a bit of bounce coming from a wall um, just behind me. And it gave this really nice light. It gets a kick into his eyes yeah. so that the light on his eyes is nice. And then you just wait for the right expression. And I, I wanted this sort of expression with him doing something with his hand that, that gave the photograph a little bit of energy and more interest than just a straight portrait. But the important thing is the lighting. And often if it's bright sunlight, I'll just shoot against the sun, shoot into the sun. And very often you can play with exposure so that you don't need bounce. But if you can get a little bit of bounce, that's better still, because that will give a catch light in the eyes. Can we see an example of uh, shooting into the sun? An example like this of two women in uh, Myanmar smoking cheroots, and the sun illuminates the smoke. Without the backlighting, you wouldn't see the smoke. Absolutely. It would be a dead shot. 
but by shooting it in this direction, it, it emphasizes the smoke. You get a nice rim light on the faces. Mm -hmm. So it just works. So don't think just because it's hard, harsh sunlight, you're not going to be able to make decent portraits or decent photographs, period. You know, I shoot a lot during the day and get some nice shots. It doesn't need to be said the best time of the golden hours, an hour sunset, an hour at sunrise. You know, that's when the light is, is light, when the light is the prettiest. Yes. Uh, and everybody knows that, or at least all you photographers out there should know should that. Should know about that. Yeah, you should know about that. So you got to get up early and get those golden hours before you yeah. go off and... Out before sunrise, have dinner after the sunset. That's right. But what I really like is after the sun's gone down in the blue hour, mm. after the sun's gone, and you get this beautiful blue light, which when it's mixed with artificial light, you get effects like this. Mm -hmm. It was a barber shop in uh, Trinidad, Trinidad, Cuba. Um, it's where I'd had a disastrous haircut earlier in the day. But I just happened to be walking by in the evening, and I, the blue of the walls was enhanced by the twilight, and the, the inside light, the warm inside light, contrasts beautifully with the light outside. Now, I, I love this play of colors with the light. Um, you really have that feel, don't you, for what light is doing and the colors and what, what it's going to look like in the final photograph. Yeah, this is an example of why you should be aware of what your camera is capable of doing. Yeah. Because it didn't look like this to your eye. Your eyes compensate. Right. They compensate for color difference. Uh, they compensate for differences in color temperature. Cameras are literal. Your eyes adjust continually. All so that, which is one of the things you have to remember about how a camera records shadow areas. To me, I can see in the corner of the room here, which is dark, and see Holly here, and I can see details in Holly's clothing, although it's you know, dark blue and black, but a camera won't see that. Right. If, if we get the highlights recorded properly, everything else is going to go dark with no detail. And that's one of the important things you should always remember in taking photographs. Always expose to the highlights and let the shadows look after themselves. This as we did with film. Uh, let's just start off with a couple of points. So first of all, this is an action item because I want you to put this to use, is looking for light. And basically the ability to notice things, especially significant, worthy of attention details. That's the definition of observation. So you wanna be looking all the time, just like Bob said. He's trained his eye. You can see, being a National Geographic photographer, he had to know these points to come home with the goods, as we say. Um, I'm gonna ask you some questions here. How does your camera react to light? You need to figure that out. You need to know the answer to that. Every camera is gonna be a little different. One of the reasons we like iPhones is because they can help you <laughs> expose in like darts, they handle low light really well, and they're automatically adjusting. But your, your normal DSLR film camera or mirrorless, you need to know for sure what that camera is gonna do. Question, when should you check your settings like ISO, white balance? Question, 
that you should ask yourself and you should just adjust that as often as you need to. For sure, at the beginning of every new shoot or new scene, like Bob was saying, you're inside in the wine cave, you need ISO 1600. You go outside, maybe you only need ISO 12, uh, 160. So just make that adjustment. And what are the two kinds of light? Who knows the answer to that? Two kinds of light. He talked about lighting within the frame and Vermeer lighting. These are the two major light sources that he's talking about. So light within the frame is really interesting. That could happen because there's a, a subject in a dark room holding a candle, for instance, which we have in uh, the, you guys should take that course if you haven't already, um, on assignment with Bob Holmes, we went into a, a wine cave and the subject had a candle. He illustrated that really cool, beautiful lighting. And the other we always look for is this Vermeer lighting, which is a single light source coming through a north window or could be any window, but north facing helps a lot. Um, when should you move a person to the light? That's totally you as a photographer deciding what effect you're looking for. So he moved that tobacco farmer. He, you know, had him turn in such a way that the light was in the first instance, uh, the light was kind of a mirror lighting, as he mentioned. And the other one, the light was coming from behind him. Why should the eyes be well lit? What do you think? It's because that's what we connect with. You know, we say the windows to the soul, but it's when you look at somebody, you connect with their eyes. And if you get that little bit of catch light in their eyes, it's going to really look good. It's going to it's going to make their eyes pop out a little bit. So not pop out, but their eyes pop. Um, so always look for that and also make sure your eyes are in focus. What else have we got here? And what can you use as a reflector? He talked about newspapers that actually works if you don't have one with you. You can use other objects. We, and again, in his shooting on assignment, we used a reflector, a tray, a metal tray. We, I used it as a reflector for Bob. Uh, there's other things you can use. A white shirt, a white t-shirt will even in front of you're wearing it, it'll bounce off into your subject, which is also very handy. And of course you can carry reflectors with you that fold up. That's also a good idea. And if you're shooting midday, what are some of the things you can do? We talked about that. Move your subject away from the direct light. Use a Vermeer lighting setup. Um, have the light behind them as a silhouette. There's all these different things. And when can you shoot into the sun? Well, he gave an example of those women smoking those cigars. That worked really well because the smoke was lit up you can always play with it, you know, always test these things out for yourself. That's the key. And what are the golden hours? I'm not going to tell you. You know what those are. Half hour before sunrise, half hour after. Okay. And those are not strict time things, by the way. Before sunset and after sunset, half hour either way. Use the golden hours. They're definitely going to give you flattering light. And then... We've got, what are the blue hours? 
you guys should really test that out. It's, it's after the sun has gone down, after the golden hour, the light gets blue. It's interesting, isn't it? So we go from the long wavelengths of the golden hours to now getting shorter with the blue hours. And there's a lot of blue. The sky becomes blue. He showed you the reflection of light on the wall in Cuba. That's blue. Don't think it's all over once the golden hours are gone. You're going you're gonna to keep shooting. Uh, and then you get this beautiful look when you mix lights. So he was talking about tungsten light mixed in with the blue light from the outside. Tungsten is just your ordinary light bulb, right? Like in a, in a building like he showed in the barbershop. They had just a regular light bulb there. Those mixed lights, and again, he shows us that every one of these points, he illustrates for you guys in the uh, show, in the course, of, he illustrates everything in the course on assignment with Bob Holmes. So you guys should take it if you haven't already. You're going to learn these things much more thoroughly by watching him do it. And why do you expose for the highlights? Why do you expose for the highlights? Because that, if you don't, you're going to have missing information. It's going to blow out and it's gone. Now, the darker shadowy areas, I mean, if you want to expose for them, you certainly can. But generally, you don't really care about that because you're already missing the detail because it's dark. But you do care about the highlights. You do not want a burnout like forehead or streaks of light that are burnt out. So you want to expose for the highlights. Okay. This is an action series of steps you can go to learn to look as the camera does. Go and photograph a scene. Take careful note of how it looks through your eyes. Okay. Then you take that card, take it out, put it on a computer, now compare to what you saw with your eyes to what it looks like in the camera. Do a comparison. That's going to help you see what the camera sees as different from your eyes. And then just repeat this as often as you need to, along with everything else we've gone over until you see what the camera sees. Thanks for joining us today on Advancing Your Photography. If there's anything you wanted to see from today's episode, you can find the video version of this show on our YouTube channel, Advancing Your Photography. You can also find the show notes on our website, silverstudios.com forward slash podcast. Please rate and leave a review, subscribe, and be sure to share with your friends. And until next time, remember to get out and capture your own images of life.